Hi everyone and welcome to the, our ESICM next third podcast for May 2021. My name is Burçin Halaçlı. I'm an internist and intensivist at Hacettepe University, Faculty of Medicine, Department of Internal Medicine, Division of Intensive Care Medicine Ankara in Turkey. And ESICM next committee member. Joining me today is Associated Professor Erwin Kompanye. He's a clinical ethicist and clinical researcher at the Department of Intensive Care at Erasmus University Medical Center, Rotterdam in Netherlands. He's a consultant in clinical ethics. Interestingly, he's a honorary curator and senior taxidermist at the Natural History Museum, Rotterdam in Netherlands. Has lots of papers, more than 4,000 citations about biomedical ethics, clinical ethics, and intensive care medicine. That is why is one of the best candidates to talk with foreign ethics topics in a podcast. Erwin, welcome to the program. Thank you, Burton. Uh, thank you for inviting me for your podcast. Today, we will be talking about ethical issues that we are confronting daily basis during our patient care in intensive care units. I would like to repeat that he's a consultant clinical ethicist actively working in ICU. As far as I know, this is a unique situation for intensivists. I really wonder how many intensivists could work with an ethics consultant in ICU. Therefore, I would like to start with that question. Who's a clinical ethicist and what does a clinical ethicist do in ICU? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, let's first explain some, uh, some, uh, some terms. Uh, ethics or moral philosophy is a part of the philosophy that concerns studying and recommending concepts of right and wrong human behavior. It concerns matters of value in life. And ethics seek to resolve questions by defending concepts such as right and wrong, good and evil, virtue and vice, and sometimes justice and crime. An ethicist is an academic professional who study and practice ethics. An ethicist advises non-ethicists on right and wrong behavior and actions and stipulates value and virtues. A medical ethicist uh, thinks about the ethics of healthcare and uh, often they are involved in teaching uh, curricula of students in medicine and nursing. And then finally, a clinical ethicist works in the daily practice of healthcare and is involved in patient care. Clinical ethicists are often trained in philosophy, but also in medicine or nursing. And patients, their relatives, physicians, nurses may disagree about the values involved in the daily care and face choices that challenge their personal values. Um, and, and it is then that ethical problems in daily practice can arise. And there comes the ethical the clinical ethicist. The and clinical ethicist can, after consultation, offer guidance uh, to all parties involved. And many people think that clinical ethics only apply to uh, controversial topics like euthanasia or abortion, cloning, and, and difficult decision making at the end of life. But as uh, health, healthcare professionals, uh, physicians and nurses and other healthcare professionals deal with many daily minor ethical uh, issues. Clinical ethicists are needed to recognize these 
minor issues and offer perspectives. On the ICU, a clinical ethicist can offer help uh, on the ethical decision-making concerning withholding and withdrawing, life-sustaining measures, uh, triage decisions, admitting patients with advanced chronic diseases or cancer, uh, the risk of dehumanization in wording and, and practice. Uh, I heard a fellow recently say, uh, I, I, I just admitted uh, a very interesting sepsis. Then I asked him, was there a patient around the sepsis? Uh, so dehumanization is common in, in wording. Uh, and it's that I, I, I call that uh, practical uh, dehumanization, and it's not immoral in the in in in, uh, in itself. But when it's in practice, it can be uh, difficult. Um, other issues are about brain dead organization, informed consent issues uh, in clinical trials in life threatening conditions. Um, and many cultural issues also, and, and the use of new technology like ECMO or ECLS. Uh, and we also, clinical ethicists also offer peer support and intervention meetings to the healthcare uh, uh, professionals in moral distress. I must second question. As we know, uh, biomedical ethics consists of four principles. These are beneficence, non-maleficence, autonomy, and justice. If you think these four principles, how do you decide on concerns regarding clinical ethics in ICU? As a clinical ethics consultant, what do you think about patient-centered approach and value-based based approach during ethical decision-making? Yeah, the, the, the four principles of Beechip and Childress are already old, but still there are valid. Um, the most prominent uh, ethical principles of these four in the ICU are beneficence and non-beneficence. Um, are we doing right or wrong to admit this particular patient? And after admission, and then most of you will recognize that after three or four weeks, in which period we are faced with yeah, progressive muscle wasting, critical illness neuropathy, uh, delirium and failure to wean from mechanical ventilation, there's often a switch from beneficence to non-maleficence. A clinical ethicist can stipulate this and start discussions uh, about the values involved. Um, but the, the other two principles are also, but often, uh, are also often issues of discussion. Um, most severely ill patients admitted to the ICU lack decision-making capacity and are not autonomous uh, in, in decision-making. How can we respect autonomy? Um, but it's important to recognize and value their values in life, the values of the patient. Um, how can we respect this as they cannot speak for themselves? Often the relatives, the proxies, are too overwhelmed with emotions for providing a valid proxy consent or um, uh, uh, giving information about the values of the patient. And sometimes we do not have time to ask consent, uh, seeing the emergency situation. So 
autonomy is a troublesome uh, principle in ICU care. Um, last year, we, have, we all have faced the burden of admitting large numbers of patients with COVID-19 on the ICU. Uh, and how can we respect the ethical principle of justice in the triage decision-making? Uh, should we use uh, when the ICU is full and we have only one bed available and there are two patients on the, uh, on the emergency room? Uh, can we use the fair innings arguments? Uh, fair inning in the, in, in the sense that a younger patient always prevails uh, over an older patient as older people have had more time to join life, to have more innings in life. Uh, in this sense, should we admit a 59-year-old patient and not a 62-year judged from the fair innings argument? Is that justice? I don't see that so clearly. In theory, it, it sounds logical, but in practice, it's very difficult. Um, the last year, there, these are very interesting times, uh, even for an older ethicist as I am. Uh, uh, two years ago, I never had thought that we have that we seriously should discuss such dilemmas as as judging on uh, triage decision on age. Clearly, uh, with, with two identical patients, medically identical, but only a few years difference in age, and we should should we prevail uh, the, the younger ones. That that's that's an that's a concept in the Netherlands uh, now for when we enter the code black. Uh, uh, and happily, it, it hasn't come so far, uh, but it's uh, interesting times. Yes, yes, indeed. You are working in a cosmopolite area in Rotterdam and probably facing with multicultural population in your daily practice. At this point, how do you cope with end-of-life issues coming from different cultural backgrounds and also probable familial conflicts? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Cultural, cultural issues are often the basis uh, of an ethical dilemma on our ICU. Um, different values of life and death uh, in, in, in different cultures. Uh, traditionally, the Netherlands are a Christian uh, country, but uh, we have the, the second largest uh, religion is, is uh, the Islam, uh, which we have also uh, Orthodox Jews, we have uh, Buddhists, we have and, and many, many, many other religions and cultures. Um, and, 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 and that offer often uh, difficulties uh, in, uh, uh, in, in, in uh, how the relatives see our decision making. Uh, physicians and nurses may have the opinion that prolonging li the life-sustaining measures in a particular patient after several weeks of treatment is disproportional. Uh, the life of the patient cannot be saved. Uh, they want to withdraw mechanical ventilation in order to not further hinder the natural dying process. Uh, after delivering this sad news to the relatives, some relatives say that they cannot accept this. And that's why an ethical dilemma arises. Um, often there are issues of trust 
um, uh, is everything done what was possible um, and, and religion culture is involved in these cases uh, it can help um, um, it can be helpful to speak with the relatives about the values of the patients and to ask the, and, and ask help of uh, religious leaders or offer the relatives that the patient can be transferred to his home where the mechanical ventilation is then disconnected and let the, let the patient die in his own bed. We have transferred several um, Muslim patients to their and then on the ventilator uh, to their home and, and uh, an intensivist and a, and a nurse uh, go with the patients to his home and when he's laying in his in his own bed then uh, the, the ventilator is disconnected and the, the patient is extubated and so he can die in his own bed. I think this is a very good practice, uh, morally uh, respectful for the religious beliefs of the patients and their, and their relatives. So I welcome this um uh, this practice very much and we offer it we, we sometimes we offer it without asking uh, when we uh, think this will be a problematic uh, issue for the relatives that the patients die in the hospital on the on our on our wide clinical icu and not in his own bed yes finally i would like to come behind to the camera we are always talking about patients and their families. And in my opinion, we are sometimes ignoring the problems of doctors or other healthcare workers that they are confronting each day while they are heroically serving in ICUs. We are occasionally living moral distress due to health policies, legal issues, patients and families. Can you say a few words about this? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, a very uh, uh, important issue, I think. It's it's often the too much focus is only on the on the patient and the relatives. Yes, we should not only care for our patients and their loved ones, but also for ourselves. Um, especially the last year, that it it, it was very striking uh, treating. Uh, severely ill patients day after day and, and seeing many patients struggle uh, with their illnesses or seeing them dying, uh, it, it can form the basis of moral distress and burnouts, but also bore outs. Um, the, 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 the large amount of, of COVID-19 patients the last year uh, and reducing the normal care, so patients uh, with uh, um, large surgery, oncological surgery or neurosurgery, they are uh, postponed because uh, we had so many patients with, with COVID-19. And, and the healthcare professionals can uh, experience this and it, it was so, I, I heard many of them, the doctors and the nurses, that they do not see themselves as a good healthcare provider anymore. Uh, when they look in the mirror uh, at the evening, they cannot say to themselves, 
I am a very good healthcare provider. I'm working uh, due to the skills that I have, and I uh, have humanity high uh, in my in my in my in my focus. Um, this is this is a, 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 a serious problem, and uh, I think, uh, in my opinion, every ICU should offer um, uh, peer support uh, for the healthcare providers. Um, several years ago, I have trained uh, 10 senior ICU nurses and two physicians uh, as peer supporter. Uh, and, and we can offer individual peer support for individual uh, uh, ICU uh, healthcare providers. And we also um, uh, do intervisions intervention meetings for the fellows and the young doctors um, during which they can ventilate their concerns there also but also their anxieties and their moral distress uh, working in the ICU and I see young physicians in the in the morning when they uh, talk about the patients they admit it in the night and talking about ventilation and and uh, about uh, uh, the, the shock and how to, about the blood values and, and the x-rays. Uh, and in the afternoon, uh, I, I see them in the intervision and then they break. Uh, that's very good to see uh, that they can ventilate their anxieties and their, their moral distress. And it's not, it's not rare that, that young physicians uh, start to cry and, and are very helpful that we offer this uh, on our ICU. So again, in my opinion, every ICU should offer a service of more of, of peer support and intervention. Thank you very much, Erwin. It was a great pleasure for us. Thank you again joining our uh, ESICM next podcast. Uh, have a nice day. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.